Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to the Brewing and Distilling podcast. As you may have noticed it's been quite some time since I released the first episode and I apologise for that. Uh, there's been quite a lot going on with me over the last month or so, uh, but I'm all settled now, I have all my equipment and everything, so I should have a lot more time to dedicate to this podcast, so you should be seeing more episodes more frequently. Last episode, I outlined roughly what it was I was planning on doing with this podcast, and I got a surprising amount of feedback on it, uh, which was all very welcome. So, to some extent, I've reconsidered a few things. Um, It's rare that someone needs to tell me to be more opinionated, but I will endeavour to do so. Um, And, yeah, just perhaps loosening up the structure, you know, talking more about... um, things specific products so a lot of people want to hear about gin and I do intend to talk about that quite extensively Uh, but overall I intend to keep the principle of this as a primarily educational um, podcast which will give you transferable skills not just specific skills but you know um, these skills develop from doing things, practicing, and, you know, everyone starts their journey by just picking something up and normally following a guide or a recipe. So um, there's plenty of room for that in this process. So in the last episode, we covered the general fundamentals of distilling, looking at the process as a whole, um, which should give some good context for beginners. It's very easy for beginners to get hung up over the more specific and esoteric things not fully understanding where they fit in the overall scheme or why they're being done so if you haven't listened to that episode I suggest you you go back um, and give it a go and we can come into this with sort of a fresh pair of ears so in this episode I wanted to cover some common myths and misconceptions and misunderstandings that people have going into this and um, (laughs) this is actually probably going to be one of the more controversial uh, bits so first of all I want to start with something non-controversial a common misunderstanding that people have is that um, alcohol has a certain boiling point water has a certain boiling point so you will set your boiler temperature to the alcohol one and you'll end up distilling 100% alcohol and no water that doesn't happen and it's not always that easy to understand why um people tell you that you can't and i don't know people people get confused and i think a lot of people don't understand why precisely only that you can't do it so distillation is a separation process it's a quite a crude separation process really we separate by boiling point there's two key to this misunderstanding the first is the notion that it's possible to control the boiling point it's not Um, you have to stop thinking in terms of temperature when you're doing distillation at least in terms of the boiling process when you're applying heat you're putting in energy you're applying 
uh, wattage in effect if it's from an electric element or a gas burner you're still putting energy into the system but think about it in terms of energy don't think about it in terms of temperature you cannot put a temperature controller in your pot to control the boiling point any more than you can control what temperature water boils at. Water always boils at 100 degrees Celsius at um, atmospheric pressure. And in the same way, any given mixture of alcohol and water has its own boiling point. It is a mixture, it is not too um, it's not two different things existing in the same space. They are a mixture together. Um, so it, the ABV affects the boiling point of the mixture. So if you look at a vapor liquid equilibrium graph, you can see for any given um, any given concentration of alcohol what the boiling point is. And you can't change that. You can change the rate by putting more energy into the system, uh, but you can't change the actual boiling points. And therefore you can't change the alcohol content of the vapor. It doesn't work that way. When we boil, you need to think about it in terms of pressure. Because boiling occurs when the, the vapor pressure of the liquid, because any liquid still has a vapor pressure um, there's always bits of it that are trying to get out um, and the only thing keeping it in is the atmospheric pressure and most of the time when it's cool the atmosphere uh, is that it has a higher pressure than the liquid than the vapor pressure in the liquid and it keeps it mostly in uh, yeah, there's always a few runaways that's why we have volatile things that's why we lose um, strength when we age whiskey uh, because it evaporates out through the barrel still. It's why a puddle on the floor, maybe at, uh, even, on a, even on a cold day, will evaporate eventually. Now that puddle's not getting to 100 degrees, but it still evaporates. Um, it does happen, and it's always trying to get out. So generally speaking, what we do as distillers is we increase the vapor pressure of the liquid by applying energy. The other way of doing it, of course, is to reduce the atmospheric pressure. That's the other way to cause uh, evaporation in, in the same stroke distillation. And that's what you get with vacuum distillation. It's, it happens, it's used a lot in the lab, but it's also used by some gin distillers to extract, uh, to make a gin without having to actually heat up the botanicals in there. It's another method, it's a bit niche and we're not going to go into that really in detail. But it's 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 how you need to look at it. You're just you're trying to increase that liquid pressure and you're doing it by applying heat. Um, and the pressure required and the actual vapor pressures are predictable based on what the liquid is made up of, in this case, alcohol and water at a certain concentration. As it distills, the um, the ABV of the liquid changes and so does the vapour pressure. It's a little bit tricky, but the point is that A, you can't, um, you cannot control 
the boiling point. The boiling point is a characteristic of any mixture that cannot be controlled. So you can't control it with any sort of temperature controller. Don't bother, not worth it. Sometimes you might see a temperature controller on a still boiler, but don't be fooled. Most of the time, the temperature controller is for the water jacket. Some stills use uh, external water jackets to heat them, which may have a temperature controller in there. And they perform the same way as an external steam jacket. But you're not controlling the, the temperature of the, the, the contents of the still. It's really important to uh, to understand when you're designing a still or trying to operate one. The second prong of this misunderstanding is that it's possible through distillation to separate out um, alcohol and water fully, and it's not. Um, you'll often hear the word azeotrope thrown around, and well, that is the word. An azeotropic mixture is a, a a mixture where the contents are constantly boiling. They're, they're sometimes referred to as constantly boiling boiling mixtures, which sounds a bit weird. What it really just means is that um, the if you distill it, the contents of the alcohol content of the vapor will be equal to the alcohol content of the liquid. So you cannot, an azeotropic mixture is when you cannot separate it out any further through fractional distillation. And that's what you get to after a certain point. I believe it's uh, approximately 97.17% by volume is the azeotrope for ethanol and water. So you're not going to get anywhere near that, uh, most likely. A lot of when you buy neutral spirits commercially, it normally comes in at just above 96%. And these are some very serious high rectification stills they use to achieve that. Azeotropic limits, it's not really of a concern to the home distiller. Um, you will target what you target depending on what you want, but there's no point going after chasing the highest possible ABV. You know, you're you're there for the flavor profile. Uh, and that might be a neutral flavor profile where you want a high alcohol distillate, or it might not be. It might be a lower ABV one for a more self-flavored spirit. So, you know, it's it's a misunderstanding, but it's not it's not something that we really have to worry or think about. So that's um, one of the least controversial uh, parts uh, that I wanted to cover in this episode about myths. I'm sure there's lots of uh, guys out there who <laughs> are very skilled chemists who would probably not be quite so happy with my explanation, but I believe it does get the point across well enough. And it just requires a change in thinking, you know, stop thinking about temperatures, start thinking about energy, start thinking about pressures. That's really what matters. But again, you do not need to strictly control any of these. It can be quite useful knowing how much energy to put into a system, but there's no one there measuring the pressure of the still. Uh, that's not, it's not anything that's useful to us as operators of a still, okay? it's mostly outside of our control. 
all we need to make sure is that we put in the right amount of energy so it actually distills but it doesn't distill too hard and boil over you boil in potatoes guys it's uh, very straightforward for us at least so the other thing I wanted to talk about and this is another one that I see a lot with beginners you know asking or worrying about four shots methanol acetone the nasty stuff you've heard about it um, you've you've heard about people going blind off a of moonshine in fact here in the UK um, I still get asked when I bring uh, some homebrew beer to a party whether or not it's going to make them go blind a lot of this is uh, are, are myths that have come about through American prohibition uh, to put people off of alcohol or moonshine and they've really stuck and they're not all false but they're they're sort of misguided I would say so there's this um, worry about the safety of of uh, distilled home distilled products um, now I'm not saying I'm not saying that uh, nobody ever went blind and nobody had any ill effects by drinking moonshine in fact they almost certainly did the point that needs to be made and probably the, the key point in this is that what what was being drunk? This, this, these unsafe spirits that were around during prohibition weren't the result of someone following any sort of good practice. They were following bad practice. These are guys who were taking um, maybe, maybe some good spirit and cutting it with um, methylated spirits. You know, uh, spirits that were deliberately poisoned by the government and when you say something's poisoned by the government people think you're crazy but no I mean that's what that's what we do and we do to this day um, potable spirits spirits that you drink um, we've decided generally that there needs to be a duty uh, we, we call it duty or tax levied on it to basically recover the ill effect you know the, the, the damage to society uh, the other the other idea is of it as a sin tax because people don't want you drinking alcohol so you've got to pay a bit more for it because you know people don't want you drinking it but either way generally speaking it's regarded that alcohol should be additionally taxed therefore you know it's important to separate out the stuff for industrial use because alcohol has a lot of industrial uses as well and you can't have industry paying drinking rates for alcohol otherwise nothing would ever happen so this is why we have methylated spirits um, they add methanol to deliberately poisoning it so you don't drink it you can't get drunk off of it but you can still use it for industrial purposes but alcohol was outlawed um, you wasn't allowed to sell alcohol you wasn't allowed to produce alcohol it, uh, it during prohibition in the US so there was a lot of money to be made in the black market and less scrupulous people uh, would want to cash in on this by getting in on the action making something cutting it with something get in make a few make a few quid and you know to hell with the consequences 
there's also a few cases of people just trying to make things you know they, they might use a car radiator as a condenser which is full of lead you know the these are the dangers this is what it came from it came from unscrupulous people um, out for a quick buck the key thing to remember is that distillation is a separation process there's nothing in the spirit that wasn't in the wash and the wash is just beer or wine or anything else so if you can drink you know in, in the UK we have um, alcoholic units so one 40% shot is one unit of alcohol so it's just a alcohol in absolute terms like litres of pure alcohol so if you drunk 10 units of alcohol from from beer and you drunk 10 units of alcohol from whiskey then there's nothing in that whiskey that wasn't already in the beer we're not creating anything in this process we're just separating so even if you took the beer and distilled it and kept everything in all these four shots that we talk about the first the most volatile bits come over that everyone says to toss even if you left them in which you wouldn't because it would taste horrible but even if you did if you drank the same amount of alcohol overall you'd be drinking the same amount of methanol there's nothing you're going to do in your process of distilling wash that's going to make it more dangerous don't I mean don't take the methanol and drink it don't take the four shots and drink it on its own but even if you completely cock up on the distillation it's going to be fine it's not going to be dangerous you're not produce because you're not producing anything any methanol that's in the the whis in the whiskey was already in the beer and you drink beer all the time maybe don't know but you might do so basically you don't you really don't have to worry about that you know four shots four shots you don't want in because of the flavor but don't worry about the harm. Don't drink them on it their own, but don't panic about it. It's not going to hurt you. All of this stuff, all of this um, concern comes from partially from misinformation and partly from a misunderstanding of you know what <laughs> what people are drinking and what people drunk that made them blind. So seriously, don't worry about it. Um, four shots, I, I toss them, I don't recycle them, I don't reuse them, I just get rid of them because the flavours are nasty, I don't want them in my spirit, but even if, the, even if I didn't separate them out, it'd still be safe. So, yeah, don't panic. Now, now, now for the third and the final, I think, thing that I wanted to talk about in this and one that I may well get some pushback on. I don't want to be one of these dramatic people who talks about all the backlash and the controversy about themselves before it happens or doesn't happen. Um, however, whenever you bring up plastics in terms of distilling on home distiller forums, you will meet some passionate people. And, you know, it's understandable and it's okay, really. Um, the analogy, really, it's similar to the, the, the principle of saying the gun is always loaded. You 
the gun isn't always loaded. You treat it like it's always loaded. You know, you don't play with it, you don't point it at people. It's something that's not true. It can't be true. The gun obviously isn't always loaded, but you, you tell people it anyway. You know, it's it's a principle. It's an untruth that you abide by because it's just safer that way. And that's what uh, I think has happened with plastics um, in distillation with the Home Distiller Group because the some plastics can cause you problems. Some plastics are unsafe. Most plastics, depending on how you're using them, aren't. But generally speaking, uh, the home distilling community has adopted this principle of plastics are bad. If you don't use plastics, you're not going to run into trouble, and that's that's true. You know, you're not you're not going to get problems of leaching or degradation if you don't use plastics at all. But I do very much disagree with the prevailing notion that you should never use plastics. Um, I speak as someone who works in the alcohol industry and I can tell you that plastics and synthetics are used consistently and the products there are held up to very high scrutiny. And this isn't one of these, oh well you know, these big corporate lot, they're, you know, they're, they're just in it for the money so they don't care that much. You know, It's not like that at all. Um, all of the most premium brands will use it. So let's let's actually boil it down to what you can and can't do. And I will now reiterate the point that if you don't know what the plastic is, and if you're not sure, don't use it. If you've got any doubt, don't use it. Use something else if you can. I'm not encouraging you to be gung-ho about the use of plastics. Um, I am just saying that it's not off the table and used properly it'll be fine but you've got to have an understanding. So one of the main areas where you probably want to use plastics are in storage. Um, you end up storing, you can end up storing quite a lot of distillate especially if you're doing lots of washes and stripping runs and you know, glass, stainless, wood, they're expensive and not practical, really. And, you know, actually glass is quite dangerous. Lots of home brewers have gone away from using glass carboys because, you know, they break. Um, and then you've got lots of glass. And in this case, you've also got lots of flammable material. If you're storing alcohol, what you want to use is HDPE. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, and you're in luck because HDPE is really the most suitable material for storing liquids for the most part and is in wide use. So most most plastic containers uh, like the jerry cans which you get in 5, 10, uh, 25 plus litre containers, they're all HDPE and they will almost always say they have it stamped on the bottom of them check that that's the case and if it is you're fine um, they're very very widely used and they're used in the, the transport of alcohols industrially normally they will come if you're buying neutral spirit 96% uh, 
96.45% uh, spirit, they will come in 1000 litre plastic HDPE IBCs or totes, I think as they're often known in the US. It's perfectly common, it's industry standard and it's fine. Um, often in smaller quantities, they're stored in 25 litre plastic containers and along with a lot of other very harsh chemicals. Storage of high strength spirits in HDPE is fine. I'm just gonna say that that's, that's fine. Another option is PET. I personally wouldn't go with that. I'm not so sure about that. It's not standard and there's really no need for it. I would rather store in HDPE than glass. Glass is liable to break. It can cause you injury and when that breaks, you know, I, w I would be much more worried about the 90% flammable spirit that you've just spilt along the floor from dropping a glass carboy or it cracking or you know you might hit it with something accidentally. It happens. Um, just look at look at home brewers, you know, they they there's horror stories all the time of stuff like that. And that's fine, it's beer, you know, it's not gonna set fire. This can, so you know, be careful. So HTP for storage, great. Now the other um, the other time you'll probably want to use plastics is for hose transfers that kind of thing it's where it gets a little bit more tricky but not 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 very tricky um, there's lots of hoses out there designed for transport of chemicals and alcohol in the industry we would use ultra high molecular weight polyethylene hose this is basically HDPE but in hose form and it's normally surrounded by a big EDPM rubber sheath and it has an anti-static coil running all the way through there's not really these are big heavy duty hoses and I've never really come across anything like that available for home distillers really to be honest your best option is silicone silicone hose as long as it's good uh, platinum cured silicone in check but as long as it's that it's fine don't use uh, your standard uh, what is it um, PVC hose the braided PVC hose no good don't use that it will leach plasticizer as will vinyl hose vinyl hose definitely don't use vinyl hose is sort of the standard home brewers hose uh, is very common but don't don't use it for this it's absolutely not appropriate you watch it you you use it it will get stiff it will get hard it will turn opaque and if you dilute your product and look at it you'll see it will go hazy and that's the plasticizer leaching out of it into your product which is not good at all that's exactly what we should be worried about and exactly what we shouldn't do so Basically, for home distillers, silicone. Now, um, the final place you may want to use plastics is in the still itself. Now, this this is the hardest test. This is where you know the plastic is going to be exposed to high temperature, high concentrations of alcohol. Um, it's going to be rough for it. 
So we want to be very careful. This is why lots of people opt to use flour paste. I don't like flour paste. I think flour paste is messy and if not applied correctly you can end up with leaks and if you end up with leaks you end up with a massive fire risk. In industry it's very common to use um, to use silicone. It's common to use Viton. It's even common to use EDPM. Um, EDPM also is a, is a fine choice for gaskets, for hoses by the way, fittings if you're using like camlock fittings, sorry, should have said that earlier. Now, my personal advice would be silicone. Uh, you know what? What you're really going to be able to come across and use it'll be silicone. Um, and silicone, as long as it's platinum cured silicone, is fine. If you're doing it yourself using a, a caulking gun, make sure you get the right stuff. Again, platinum cured and most certainly. Um, non-antifungal, you get a lot of a lot of caulking uh, designed for domestic use has an antimicrobial additive uh, designed to stop mold growing on it. Definitely don't want that getting in your product. So only, only, only use the proper um, platinum cured stuff if you're going to be doing it yourself, or if you're going to be buying in a gasket. But generally, silicone is fine. And Teflon uh, or what's uh, PTFE, absolutely fine. PTFE, go for it. Um, in fact, silicone gaskets wrapped with PTFE is a great choice. Um, PTFE has a much greater chemical resistance, much more sturdy. So you can use PTFE tape, and you can use PTFE gaskets for camlock fittings as well. Honestly, those are fine. They're more than industry standard. They will, you will have no problems with that. I have not done much research into what happens to these plastics when you distill. My sort of um, suspicion is that as long as it's not in the condenser, most likely any any degradation to the plastics, you're just going to end up with the plastics going into the still and you know nothing actually distilling over I don't really know that it is purely a theory but you should choose stuff that is up to the job because the last thing you want is a vapor leak you don't want your seals or gaskets degrading so yeah make sure you use the right stuff but don't be scared don't don't be put off on principle of of things like silicone gaskets instead of flower paste because you really you don't you don't have to be worried about that as long as you have the correct stuff. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people aren't um, aren't content with that, but you know that's just the way it's done. Uh, you look at the greatest steel manufacturers in the world; they're using silicone, they're using various different types of um, synthetic gaskets. The amount of vapor contact that gas gets is minimal anyway. My view on it is that not only is it okay, my view is that any any danger that you're gonna face from using, you know, a silicone gasket, which as far as I know, there's no evidence there'll be any danger from it, 
is going to be far outweighed by the possibility of a leak. And I'm not saying that flower paste is unreliable, but you do have to apply it every time and you have to do it right every time. And, you know, if you get a vapor leak and that catches fire, you've got a seriously dangerous situation on your hands because it depends on what the ABV is in the pot, depends what you've got nearby, depends on the building you're in, but you could very easily get an out of control fire. You know, just look at how many poisonings there have been from commercial distillation where plastic use is prevalent and compare that to how many distillery fires we've seen even over the last year. Um, we have a responsibility as home distillers to show that we are serious about what we do, that we are safe and that it is not an irresponsible hobby. And every time someone still catches fire or there's an explosion because of it, doesn't really do us any favors so I would favor um, something that protects thoroughly from vapor leaks such as a silicone um, a silicone triclamp gasket or a PTFE triclamp gasket over trying to rig something together and fill it with flour paste and uh, you know hoping that you do it right every time go with something robust where it really matters okay on the subject however and this is a very important topic the big downside with plastics is static electricity okay be careful plastic containers can build up a static charge if you're storing high strength alcohol in them um, a, stat a quick a little static shock can be a source of ignition so be careful make sure things are properly earthed um, ideally you want something that's earthed going inside a plastic container as in if you're doing transfers if you use say a, a metal uh, metal wand to transfer through that should be earthed um, and by earthing that you're earthing the liquid inside of it okay so be wary of that and if possible avoid storing anything high strength if you're going to prioritize avoid storing very high strength liquids in plastics um, those those should go into stainless steel if possible okay it's not a major risk but it is something to consider anyway um, That sounds a bit scary talking about fires and things, but it's, it is a serious point. The risk is relatively low as long as you take all precautions. Um, it's important to do things like earth all your equipment and mitigate against things like static buildups, reduce sources of ignition such as open flames in the distillery. None of that will be a concern as long as there's no leaks. Um, but open containers um, and leaks in parts of the still plus a source of ignition can equal something very dangerous. So just please be careful. So I think that just about covers what I want to talk about in this episode. I feel like being a bit longer than I intended is going to be a common theme. Um, I think this stuff's really important to talk about. It's it's important sometimes to challenge some of the preconceived notions. I'm not, again, I'm not encouraging people to be gung ho about things like the use of plastics 
or to go ahead and take shots of uh, shots of methanol. I'm just trying to put these things into perspective because I'm never a big fan of the idea of just trying to scare people to encourage them to be safe. Um, I remember back at school they used to do that whenever they introduced introduce us to a new piece of uh, machinery, a pillar drill, a lathe, something like that. They would spend about 20 minutes giving you a horror, a horror story after horror story about people getting their rings caught and being flung across the room and having their you know, skin ripped from them or that kid that somehow got wrapped around the lathe and died. Like, it does, it does encourage a certain amount of respect, but what you ended up with was 30 kids who were scared, stiff, and did not want to use that tool. And uh, when they did, they were so non-committal and, um, and basically just scared that the work they did wasn't very good. Um, when you learn more about them, you understand the risks more fully and understand why we're concerned about things like not wearing jewellery when we're operating um, rotary tools, we actually gain a, a true respect for it. We gain an understanding and know, you know, know not to push things and know where not to push things. So take that as you will. But um, I hope this, uh, this, this dispels some common misconceptions and is useful for um, beginner li listeners. Starting next episode, we're going to get really into the meat of of distilling. We're going to actually start up. We're going to be talking about. I think I said we would talk about the raw ingredients. Let me see. I do have some notes. I'll note. So next episode, I want to talk a bit more about the different types of spirits. So that will be quite a short little episode. We're going to talk about. Um, the different types of spirits and what goes into making them and the differences, rough differences in the process. And after that we get on to the raw ingredients and then things really kick off. So to all of those people who know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, thank you for sticking by and listening and hopefully you learned something new or maybe got a new perspective or something like that. Um, but things things are starting to uh, speed up now, and we should be getting more stuff more stuff out there soon that will be new to you. And for for the beginners who are um, sticking with this, I hope this is really useful. And if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. I'll be posting. Um, I'm sure I'll be posting something on Reddit. If you want to talk to me on a public forum so that other people get the chance to shoot down what I'm saying, then go for it. Um, that's that's a great way to encourage discussion and debate and to make sure that I'm getting my facts right. Because you should never just trust the word of one person, he says, as one person. Anyway, this has gone on long enough. Thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you very much.